Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So today we continue our worship series on Christian conversations, and today we're going to focus on conversations for healing and reconciliation, a word we said several times in our gathering liturgy and our unison prayer. And that's because as the Apostle Paul emphasizes in his second letter to the Church of Corinth, we are called to be a people who are not only reconciled to God, but working to be reconciled to one another. That this is the way in which we live out the peace and the harmony that was brought to us by the Prince of Peace, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we focus on sometimes when we engage in these conversations is what is it that I need to say so that the other person realizes that I didn't want to do wrong and that I didn't mean to do wrong and so I don't want them to hold it against me. But that's not the model that is set before us today in our scripture from the Gospel account of Luke. And to give you a little background, what we find is an incredible encounter that doesn't go the way it would go 99.9% .9 of the time if we were the ones that were approached by the disciples of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the same kinsman who is related to Jesus, who is only six months older, that John the Baptist was in prison. His ministry, which predates that of Jesus, had become a place of persecution against him. He was, in fact, leading many people into a revival of their faith. They were coming to him at the River Jordan, being baptized into a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And there they experienced that God's grace was truly alive, that the same God who had gathered their ancestors together at the base of Mount Sinai and gave to them the Mosaic Covenant still very much loved them, knew them, and cared for them, wanted to be in right relationship, and they're turning their back on their sinfulness and embracing a way forward, a way that would lead them to the Messiah and the fulfillment of countless messianic prophecies from the Old Testament was truly John's call, his vocation, his identity. And he found himself at odds with not only religious leaders, but some of the political leaders in his day. And they arrested him and they threw him in jail. And it isn't the kind of prison that we even see in our modern society and context. It was horrific conditions. He would often go without adequate food and sometimes even light. And there out of the darkness, he had cultivated disciples that he sent to Jesus. And two of them came to him. And John's question seems very simple on the surface. Is this the one that we have been waiting for? Are you, Jesus, the Messiah, or are we to wait for another? And most of us, if someone had come to us and said something like that, are you really who you say you are? Or, you know, is there something better coming along that I should wait for? We would become immediately angry. Some of us would be hurt. Some of us would respond snarkily. Some of us would simply go, are you kidding me? How rude are you? 
You question my identity. You question my call, my vocation, my purpose. You question what I have done and what I am doing now and what I will do in the days ahead. How, how rude of you. And you, you are my family. How dare you? That would be a very human and probably understandable response. And some of us may have responded to questioning of our identity and authority in the past this very same way. But Jesus is fortunately not us. Jesus is both 100% human and 100% divine. And his answer to John's disciples, which is really his answer to John, is all divinity. Instead of making it about him and about the words that he heard and how that could have been phrased better and that wasn't the most sensitive way to ask a question and really you also asked in public in front of all of my disciples and this crowd that is gathered here. Instead, Jesus hears what John is really trying to communicate. Not what is spoken, but what cannot be said. John is crying out from a place of deep, profound pain and suffering. All that he has done, his life's work, his identity, has been halted, if not terminated, by his imprisonment. And there, separated from the, the Holy River Jordan, he is unable to do what he is supposed to do. He is unable to continue what he has been consumed with doing for decades. And now it has ceased. And he's starting to question, was I wrong? Did I do the, the right thing? Have I misunderstood who I am and who God wants me to be? He's looking for guidance and comfort. He's looking for the assurance that his life and his ministry has not been a waste. And John can't see what we can see now, and that is, of course not, John. Of course not. Every Christian ever baptized owes their life in Jesus Christ to John the Baptist. Now, John was doing the very beginning of what Christian baptism has become. He certainly marked that it was a profession of faith. It was rejecting sin and the evil of this world and claiming the redemptive grace of God. And certainly that which comes to us through Jesus Christ. And he started us on that journey. And it would be completed by what Jesus would say on the eve of his betrayal. That is, that after Pentecost and the, and the arrival of the Holy Spirit, that we would match John's baptism with the laying of hands and the invocation of the Holy Spirit, and together, all those who were baptized would not only be cleansed, justified in the sight of God, but that we would also receive a piece of God's self indwelling in us so that we would never again be alone or abandoned to our sinful inclinations. Every baptized Christian that has ever been grateful for that moment of justification, who has ever marveled and appreciated a piece of God's self within us, knows of John the Baptist. His ministry has left its mark on millions upon millions of Christians. And we are who we are because John was who he was and did what he did. But he couldn't hear that from the prison cell. He couldn't understand that. And so Jesus chooses to give him a very thoughtful and curated response. Jesus says to, his, to John's disciples, what do you see and hear? What are the testimonies that are being given about me? The blind see, the deaf hear, those that were ritualistically unclean because of their leprosy and their skin disease have been cleansed and are now clean. 
Those that were thought to be possessed have been liberated and good news has come to the poor. Use your eyes and your ears. Receive these testimonies and go back and allow John to make his decision because he is capable. He certainly refers to John in incredible ways after that, which is where we really see God shine forth. That there in an earthly vessel, the divinity of God Almighty chooses to do something that most of us wouldn't do. And that is, after being questioned and having the opportunity to gracefully respond, Jesus doesn't turn around after John's disciples depart and say, you know, he really could have done that better. There were better ways to do that. Surely they could have waited for a more opportune moment. Um, You know, let's talk about John for a minute. Instead, he goes right to extolling the virtues of John and elevating our understanding of John's ministry to a whole new high. He leaves a eulogy for John that we still echo to this day. Now, when we were preparing this worship series, this text kept coming to me, and I wasn't sure why, because I'm not really a fan of this text. It doesn't really impact me very much on a daily basis. And honestly, it's not very exciting, and the way I've heard it before has never really gotten me all exuberant over the text. But every time I came back to it, what I marveled at was how Jesus chose to respond to someone who was in such pain and suffering. And he didn't belittle him. He didn't use his pain as a conduit for himself. Instead, Jesus received what John couldn't speak, gave John the assurance that he wanted, and then turned around and did something that was truly graceful. God's grace is unmerited favor, and it encompasses both forgiveness, pardon, and divine love. And Jesus does that for John. He turns to his disciples and to the crowds that have gathered there to witness him, and he says to them, let me tell you about John. Of all humankind, there is none greater than John. What he has done is truly unique. Those of you that went to the water's edge to see him, what did you go to see? Did you go to see someone like the rest of you? No. You didn't go to see someone like you've seen before, not even the privileged elite rich who dress in fine robes and live in luxury in the palaces. You didn't go to see them. You went to see a truly unique person. Someone clothed not in silk and linen, but someone clothed in camel hair. Not someone who ate the best choice meat, but someone who lived on locusts and honey. You went to see God embodied in someone who didn't look and sound like the rest of us, whose ministry was singularly unique And so was he. You went to see him. You went to see a prophet, but not just a prophet. And Jesus cites scripture from both the book of Exodus and the prophet Malachi. He says, this is the one that was foretold. The one who is not a reincarnation of the great prophet Elijah, but the one who is the next in the Elijah role. The one who is making straight the paths, calling God's people back home to repentance and to reconciliation. That is John the Baptist. And his ministry is everything. He gave John's ministry time in his very few words that we have recorded. And he extols John. But he goes a little further. He says, those of you that don't understand John... That's not John's fault. In fact, 
John is very different from me, Jesus says. John came, he ate things that you don't eat, he dressed in things that you don't wear, and he lived a life that you don't live, coming out from the wilderness. And as holy as he was with his fasting and his prayer, some of you didn't believe him. And then here I am, just like you, eating what you eat, drinking what you drink, and being friends with the same people that you are related to and are friends with and living in community with, And you look at me and say, I'm a glutton and a drunkard and a friend with unsavory friends. Jesus was pointing out to them that sometimes we have to look deeper. We have to look at what is not seen or spoken, but what is experienced. When you went to see John the Baptist, I have no doubt that that was a holy hot mess looking at someone who had been raised in the wilderness, living by the River Jordan, eating things like locusts and honey, and dressed the way he was, I have no doubt that John was something to behold. And people were shocked at that. He doesn't look like a prophet. He doesn't look the way we think he should look. And they judged him by that. They didn't receive what he was really giving them. And it wasn't just his words. It was his ministry. They didn't take it because they didn't think that someone like John could be from God. And when he started to question that, Jesus spoke the truth that has resounded through generations and the ages. John isn't just from God. John is God's gift to us. And that is something that we have to remember. That it isn't always what we see and what we hear, but sometimes we have to receive what is unspoken And that's hard for people who grew up in tradition and who love tradition. And it really speaks and nourishes our spirits because we like the stability of knowing what we're going to see. We like knowing that we're going to go to worship and there's going to be a clergy in some type of vestment. There's going to be an altar. There's going to be some order to our worship. There are going to be elements that are going to feel familiar and safe and comforting. We like that. And that's not a bad thing. But we also have to train ourselves to know that we serve a God that is making all things new. And that even in the midst of things that look, taste, and smell, and feel very familiar, God can bring forth new things. And in our conversations, we have to realize that sometimes God is asking us to hear and receive new things. Even though human beings have been having conversations forever. But now we are being asked to receive different things. Over the course of the past few months, I've had people within our family of faith here at Crozet talking to me, expressing their frustrations and their fears and sometimes their righteous anger at the things that are happening in our world. And I absolutely understand that. But the more that I started to listen to them, the more I realized what they really wanted to convey was not what their words were speaking. It was something even more deep and profound. They wanted to share this wound within. And there were people that were talking about the issue of racism and saying, you know, I don't understand this. Everybody keeps saying black lives matter, but all lives matter. And that's true. We are Christians. We read in John 3:16 that God so loved the world that every human being, every life matters. Absolutely, unequivocally. 
but what I discovered by talking to people that don't look like me, people that aren't Caucasian and white from our own church family here, is that what they were saying was that it doesn't feel like my life matters, that people don't look at me like they look at you. People don't look at me and see a being of sacred worth. They don't look at me and see a beloved child of God. They don't look at me and see someone that should be given the opportunity to repent and receive grace and to offer others the ability to repent and receive grace. Instead, people look at me and they see my skin color. They see that I am not the majority. They look at me and they see a criminal. They look at me and see a threat. They look at me and see someone who is less than. And they treat me accordingly. And so what they were saying to me time and time again was, we need to feel like we do matter. We need to feel that we are beloved children of God. We need to feel that we don't have to feel ashamed because we don't look like you. And what they were really saying beneath all of that was that there was sin that had completely shaped their lives. And I didn't experience it the same way, but I never would. And I hadn't seen it the same way, but I couldn't because my eyes weren't privy to those moments. And instead, there's that opportunity for us to respond like Jesus Christ, who took the time to edify the person. Even if I hadn't been a racist, even if I hadn't been part of a system that had oppressed and victimized and in some ways killed other people. It is important for us to recognize that in that moment, we can choose to receive the things that had remained unspoken. And then we have to wrestle with what we do with that. And that's what God was inviting us to do, not only in this story recorded in the gospel account of Luke, but in our story that takes place every day. We are invited to respond like Jesus Christ, to say to the person, I hear you, not just what you're saying, but what you're sharing. Your pain and your suffering is resonating, and I receive it. That's why the Holy Spirit grants us empathy, so that we can see the suffering of others, whether they are economically oppressed poor, whether they are physically disabled and suffering in the captivity of their bodies, or whether they are people who are struggling with mental health and victimized by their own harmful thoughts, we have been empowered to receive all of that and to be part of God's healing presence for every single person in this world. Because oftentimes we skip over the second part of what Jesus said. Among people born of woman, none is greater than John, but in the kingdom even the least is greater than he. Because we forget that. Sometimes we say to ourselves, well, maybe racism is happening. Maybe sexism is going on. Maybe there is discrimination. But it's not happening here. It's not happening here. It's not happening in my home. It's not happening in my church. It's not happening in my community. And maybe that is all true. But even if it is true, the fact is that Jesus is speaking in a way that is forcing us to look beyond here and here and look well into eternity. 
because every single person that is experiencing violence and trauma and hatred, discrimination and prejudice will be with us in the kingdom. And do we really want to gather at the Lord's table for all eternity and look over at our neighbor and say, I just didn't know. I didn't know that that actually happened. I thought it was hyperbole. I thought it was political discourse. I thought it was a Facebook post. Not realizing that there are people who are crying out to us, letting us know that they need God and they need God in us to receive them and to still love them and to do all that we can to help them. That is truly what conversations about healing and reconciliation are about. About acknowledging pain. You can't heal it if you don't acknowledge it. And you certainly can't work to repair the brokenness of the relationship if you are unwilling to receive the brokenness. Instead, we have to respond as Jesus did by saying, what you are trying to communicate, maybe your words don't fully encapsulate it, or maybe I think you could phrase that better, or maybe I would never phrase it that way at all. Instead of getting caught in the minutia of the verbiage, it's about what is flowing between us. And when someone is willing to come to us and say to us, whether it is an individual disciple or to the church, the body of Christ, I am suffering. The church does not turn its back on them. When people come to us and say, I am hungry, we feed them at Grace Grocery. When they come to us and say, I am fearful because I am out of work and I cannot pay my mortgage or my rent, we pay it. When someone comes to us and says, I really want my three-year-old to experience preschool, we give them a scholarship. So when someone comes to us and says, I am being victimized because of the color of my skin, or my gender, or my socioeconomic status? Is the Christ-like thing really to negate their pain, to turn our back, and to refuse to do everything in our power to help them? It doesn't feel authentic. It certainly isn't something that I would want to stand before the risen Christ and justify. And so these words today that we hear are so much deeper the story, for the first time when I read it, was so much bigger than the text on the page. There were so many things going on behind the scenes that aren't accounted for. And when you put them all together, you realize that one of the greatest human beings to ever live was suffering. And he didn't have the words to say that. Maybe he couldn't, because words fall short those of us who are ministers of the word know that consistently our words fail us. We witness miraculous things. We have divine encounters. We are blessed to be in the midst of the body of Christ and our words fail to encapsulate it and convey it. We know that that is our reality. It is our burden to attempt and our curse to continually fall short of the glory that we witness. And we know that because of this long period of isolation and quarantine, we know that words are not enough. It's not enough to text someone I love you. It's not enough to send them an email or even write them a letter because what we are craving, what our words cannot express, but that our spirits yearn for 
miss the presence. I miss you. I miss being around you. I miss experiencing you. I miss gathering with you. The only time human beings in our American culture are really good at sharing that, naming it, and testifying to it are at funerals when a beloved person is gone for the remainder of this life. Shame on us that we are unwilling to share that here and now, unwilling to tell people that it is being with them, being in their presence and in their midst and feeling in the church context, the Holy Spirit, not just moving between us, but surrounding us and embracing us and undergirding us and allowing us to feel comfort, even if it is only for the time of a worship service, reminding us that we are not alone, that God has not abandoned us, turned God's back on us, forsaken us, that instead God has given us this gift, a place, a family of faith, a sanctuary from the sin of the world where we can work on our own sin, and help those that are suffering, those who we call our siblings because of our adoption in Jesus Christ. Those things are more important than the words that we speak. And when someone is willing to speak to us, to try to convey their pain and suffering, even if they fail in doing it well, or at all. We have to receive what they cannot speak, what might hurt so badly that if they were to speak it, it would break them entirely. We don't require people to break themselves before us. Instead, we open our hearts, our arms, and our doors to allow them to come in and invite Jesus Christ to be there with us, helping us to receive what they're trying to convey and helping us to convey our empathy, our sorrow for their pain and their suffering and our desire because of our love for our brothers and sisters, our siblings, to help make it different so that it can be better, not just for today, but until Christ comes back. That is true kingdom building. And it is about relationship, and relationship requires reconciliation. Today's text is bigger than the words on those pages. For the first time in all the years that I have read them, for the first time, I saw John's pain I saw his fear. I saw, and it resonated with me. And I thought to myself, if I can feel pain that is almost 2,000 years old from a person who is just a character in the gospel story, then why do we struggle to feel the pain of those that are right here in our midst, in our lives? Why do we struggle to receive them like I just received John. Because we are listening like the world, and we are not called to listen with the ears of the world. We have been given a heart of Jesus Christ, and that changes our ears, our eyes, 
our hands, our feet, and it must start to change our head as well. May we endeavor to let the Spirit perfect us to be better disciples who resist the temptation to respond the human way and embrace the opportunity to respond as Christ responded to his own beloved John the Baptist. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.